0: I think I learned early on that I'm perfectly capable of being a complete idiot without the need for alcohol. (laughs) I already have that spiritual gift within me. I'm perfectly fine embarrassing myself without the need for any kind of, you know, (laughs) assistance. This week at Windsor, myself, Arden Beach and Dr J. Jonathan Hoffman joining you once again. Good evening.
1: Good evening. How are you today,
0: Arden? Not too bad, not too bad. Now, just before we get into it, just to clear up some confusion, because since we started, I've been calling you Dr J, which has led some listeners to think that you are in fact an actual doctor, which you are not.
1: However, you may be shortly. Well, shortly is a relative term, and I don't think shortly is is quite going to be uh, the realistic expectation. But um, you know, I thought you were confusing me for the basketball player. Well, that's what I was.
0: I was, I was going the, the basketball reference, Julius Irving, back whenever the seventies or whenever he
1: played in the NBA. My hair's been thinning though, so I can't quite get it out that <laughs> But uh, now, uh, all joking aside, a very blessed to be able to be pursuing a PhD right now so that's what I thought you were referring to when you called me Dr. J I didn't put him up to that by the way Um, but yes I'm currently enrolled with the Australian College of Theology pursuing a PhD I am eagerly busying myself with a major paper that I'm going to present at a seminar in a couple weeks so prayers appreciated. and I could bore you if you want me to keep going but I might just play it safe and pull up here
0: Cool, cool, Now, what's the, we should
1: though clarify, what is the doctorate in? So, I'm pursuing a doctorate in philosophy, uh, specifically with a focus in New Testament studies, and my dissertation topic is faith as migration. Migration is something you know a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, faith as migration, and I'm looking at the intersection of faith and hope through the life of Abraham as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 16. And the way I explain it, for those who are still paying attention to this point in time, (laughs) is imagine 2,000 years from now, you find a recording of a sermon and you hear the preacher say something like, and by faith, we're gonna storm the beaches. When you hear yeah, I just realized that's a play on words with your name. I totally <laughs> didn't realize that. Oh, that's pretty funny. I've been using this example before I got here, by the way. <laughs> but let's just say, for instance, we go back and 2,000 years from now, you hear a recording of a sermon. The preacher says, we're going to storm the beaches. We're not going to take over Arden's house. No, we're storming the beaches. What did they mean by that? What was the connotation that came to mind? And that's what I'm trying to ask, because if we use the phrase storm the beaches, it's obviously a Normandy reference to World War II reference. It has all sorts of wider cultural images that are pulled up with it. And what I'm trying to do is investigate what the cultural images and expectations would have been and associations would have been around the figure of a migrant. So there's a lot of studies been done uh, recently in migration, migration theory, migration in the ancient world. And so to be a migrant in that day was not an unfamiliar idea. It was actually something that was quite familiar. And so trying to get a sense of what the writer to the Hebrews found relevant in the figure of Abraham's migration to describe what he was saying about faith.
0: Yeah, okay. Now, coming up this weekend, a very strong Christian lady, Anna Hutchins, who many people in church would be familiar with, um, she's preaching this this Sunday. We're lucky enough to have her coming up very shortly on, on the show. But last weekend, we had a whole stack of our young people get baptized, which was incredible.
1: Yeah, wonderful Sunday. I was talking to somebody today, a parishioner. And they're telling me just how that joy carried over into the week, uh, into their Bible study. He said not many people in the Bible study made it through without just in tears sharing the joy that they had from Sunday. And so we were just really grateful. So um, really great to hear testimonies. It's always fantastic. Uh, We got to hear from Melanie Cullen. We got to hear from... Kai Wilson and Bradley Ingarima, they shared their faith, and uh, I was able to baptize Brad. Um, The others got baptized by others, Uh, but it was just a great day and a real wonderful Sunday in my mind to see the church be the church. Cold water seemed to be the theme of the day. Absolutely. Brad told me he came down with the flu, and he said, you really need to get that water (laughs) sorted. I said, well, you know...
0: (laughs) Yeah, so just waiting outside, we've got Anna Hutchins and her gaggle of small children <laughs> wait, waiting to come in. So um, brave. But um, she, seems to, she seems to be a real friend of WDBC. You've had her here before in, in other roles she's been in. Now she's in a new one, and she'll be talking about that. But, uh, yeah, she seems to be quite part of the family here.
1: Yeah, I had the privilege of meeting Anna, uh, I want to say maybe five or six years ago, even through her work with Compassion. And it just worked out well that we could invite her to be a guest preacher. And she preached a great sermon uh, on uh, Leah from the book of Genesis. And we had her a couple other times and we're thrilled to have her back. I'm going up the coast uh, to officiate a wedding. Uh, There's a a few other people from church going to be doing that. So, yeah, she's coming in to preach. She's going to preach on Acts 2 and the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost.
0: Yeah, cool.
1: Awesome. Does that
0: mean we're going to see more of that stuff here?
1: Hey, whatever the Spirit wants to do, we're up for it. That's 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 our policy. So
0: we do uh, chatting to people after Sunday night. Um, the the sense is that we're living in an exciting time.
1: I think so too, and but I find that word exciting is is very interesting. As I'm pressing into that, I always wonder what people mean by that, because oftentimes excitement can mean anything from wow this is something i didn't experience before it could be just feelings of devotion for god and and for the, you know love for christ and the church uh, or it could actually mean a heart aligned with god's purposes and that's what i'm really hoping that excitement is all about is people people turning to him and really just devoting themselves seeking the Lord's face, seeking His will. that's what really excites me. that's where revival starts in my opinion. Um, and yeah I, I'm I'm just thrilled to see to see what God has been doing. He's always working but it's been great to see over the last few weeks a renewed enthusiasm.
0: yeah it's got to be more than a label and more than a club to those within and to those from the outside looking in it's
1: there's got to be something more. What you were saying about the Spirit, I think, is so true and so relevant. There is a real desire and a hunger for the things of God. And as we read the news, we look at the headlines, we see things happening that are, remind us of how out of control we are. And I think where I'm up to, I don't know what you would say, but where I'm up to is I'm trying to look at that as a blessing, as a blessed reminder to say, you know what, Jonathan? The thought that you control your own destiny the thought that you are uh, somehow the one who writes the script that's a false idea and anything that can shake you out of that is probably good for you in the long run
0: Mm. well instead of us just yammering on all evening like we would often do why don't we make things a little more interesting and bring another guest in to save our audience members
1: I think that's a great idea, Arden. Can we bring in one and a half? We can bring in one and a half, yes.
0: yes. Um, a, a face and a, and a voice that perhaps would be familiar to the folks here at WDBC. Anna Hutchins joins us this evening. Good evening.
2: Good evening. How are you all?
0: Not too bad. Great to have you and your little one back.
2: Thank you. Yes, you might get some background noises uh, with Harry here with me.
0: Now you've uh, you've had a fair bit of experience in the in the charity space, in the not-for-profit space. Tell us a little about a little bit about yourself and and where you're coming from.
2: Yeah, so as many of you would know, I mainly have worked for compassion um, for a long time, so probably about nine years, I worked with them. Just the beginning of this year, I've had a change and uh, started a role at Open Doors. So some of you may know Open Doors, um, but we serve the persecuted church around the world. So it's a bit of a change today. Okay. This
0: so year. What's your role then at, at Open Doors?
2: I lead the marketing team. My actual role is a bit, uh, the title is a bit superfluous. It's called Chief Experience Officer. Um, but yeah, basically, I'm just leading our marketing and communications team.
0: Okay. And I, I suppose it's not really something we see in the mainstream media. How much persecution is out actually out there?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that was an interesting journey in me actually taking this role is learning how many Christians are actually persecuted. So the stats are that one in seven Christians worldwide uh, face persecution. So it's hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world who are experiencing persecution. And often we view that, we view persecution as sort of a real violent persecution. Um, There's martyrdom, there's people who are being imprisoned and bashed and beaten up for their faith. But there's actually also a lot of real subtle persecution. So we've got all this information in India during COVID when Christians weren't receiving any rations from the government. So all of these Christians who were below the poverty line were getting a double persecution. Um, Lots of different families who uh, have their electricity turned off because... Local authorities have heard that they're a Christian and so they just won't give them any access to electricity. So I'm sort of learning a lot about the subtle persecution around the world for people who are Christians. What
0: would would be the worst places for Christians to live, the worst countries?
2: Yeah, well Open Doors actually releases a report at the beginning of each year which looks at the 50 hardest places to follow Jesus. So it's actually rating persecution. They sort of have all the the on-the-ground research of people who were persecuted um, and yeah this year that it was quite a big buzz because I mean buzz buzz is probably the wrong word but for years North Korea has had has been the number one country in regard to persecution but just this year Afghanistan pushed them off the number one it's the list that no country wants to be the number one on but the interesting thing about that is people go oh is that a positive story then that North Korea actually has less persecution no actually persecution went up across the board yeah. but afghanistan obviously just increased because of their though, the takeover of the taliban last year
0: does open doors have an idea of numbers in those countries how, how many christians would be living in afghanistan
2: yeah they probably do and i don't have it top of mind Come um <laughs> yeah and i mean that's the challenging thing is that a lot of these countries it's really difficult to get a, an accurate figure of how many people are christians because particularly in Afghanistan. The Christians just fled, so many of them fled. Um, so a lot of the people that were caring for are Afghani uh, refugees, um, but there are uh, many there who are staying despite the incredible persecution. They talk about the Taliban hunting down Christians and they just every day they go this could be the day that they knock on my door and they know that I'm a Christian and they just go and take me away from my family so but many of them go well if we don't stay how are our Afghanistan neighbors going to know about Jesus so yeah they stay despite incredible odds and reasons to leave
1: and you said before this that you worked with compassion. That's sort of the context we've known you through. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the shift from an organization that is relief based, relieving yeah. poverty, yeah. and now moving to an organization that's going directly involved with persecution. How, how do you see any overlap or change from your perspective?
2: yeah there's lots of differences um i mean some are just minor i mean interestingly compassion's model is that they can only operate where Countries are fairly stable. They sort of need the church to be um, fairly stable so they can get funding in. They have a certain infrastructure that's required for the government. So any political instability or war, they're not able to work there. Um, Open doors is obviously the opposite. I mean, they only work in in unstable environments. Um, Even just this year, we've had these real struggles with Westpac, our, our bank, because every country that we want to send money to is high risk and is on their sanctions list. Um, so how do you work? How do you find a bank when you're sending money to Syria and Iran and Iraq? Um, and no bank wants to be associated with that. So that's been one shift. Um, even at Compassion, we would go to the field and we would travel to the Philippines and it was lovely. And it's a majority Christian, albeit Catholic country while traveling to the field with open doors and um, the CEO was like, yeah, I have this stamp on my passport that because I went to Syria within the last three years, it's impossible to go to the US, for example. So yeah, field travel is very different. And just the whole infrastructure is different. Um, You can, in some countries that we work in, you can only refer to the company. You can't ever say open doors. Um, You can never reveal people's names. Um, Yeah, it's all very hidden because of security reasons. So that's one shift among many.
1: I think you're one of the most interesting people I know. And your husband is probably even more interesting. Uh, He has one of the craziest jobs. Tell us a bit about your husband and what, what he does. I've actually never heard of this outside of the context that you've given me.
2: Yes, I always chuckle at dinner parties because I'll meet people, we'll have a bit of small talk and then if they find out what my husband does, it's like it's gone and I don't necessarily want to talk about it because it's not my interest, it's his but especially if I'm talking to a male, all of a sudden I find myself having to have a long conversation with him, which is fine. Um, yeah, so my husband is a uh, runs a fly fishing business so he started off being the fly fishing guide. Um, he, uh, we live in the Blue Mountains but he's now sort of, it's now scattered across Australia and overseas where he's kind of got guides working for him in fly fishing around the world
1: to me it sounds like the perfect like spy job I know what you are but like oh what do you do for a living I travel around the world (laughs) taking people to remote locations where we fly fish this giant black box is just full of fishing gear
2: (laughs) Yep. <laughs>
1: now, uh, Anna, you, uh, you and I met through Compassion uh, several years ago, yeah. and, and I reckon you preach one of the best sermons I've ever heard on Genesis chapter 32. Now, I, mean, I haven't heard many on Genesis 32, but <laughs> I just found the whole thing um, really, really inspiring. But I wanted to ask you about preaching. Uh, not many women get invited to preach uh, these, these days, I guess more and more so. Um, But yeah, tell us a bit about that space and kind of how you see your giftedness in handling the word alongside the role that you play uh, vocationally with some of these Christian organizations.
2: Thank you. That's very generous. As a quick side note, a few weeks ago, I preached at my local church and this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, that was the best talk I've ever heard. And I said, oh, wow, thank you. That's so encouraging. And I said, oh, so have you been coming along to church very long? It's like, no, this is my first week. <laughs> 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 Suddenly the compliment kind of dropped in its uh, value. But <laughs> I was grateful. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, now I'm trying to reflect on the question. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I remember, I, I remember preaching at youth group and really enjoying the challenge of it. Part of it was self-serving in that it forced me to read the Bible, in a different way when I knew I was going to be communicating it. I wish that I read God's word as deeply and thoroughly as I did if I was just meditating on it for myself. But there was something about wanting to make it clear and compelling for other people that strengthened my own faith. I remember saying to my minister at the time that I really enjoyed speaking. And I asked why women didn't speak at our church. And he said, oh, it's because when men speak, they're able to engage both men and women, but when women speak, they only engage women. (laughs) I think I was probably about 15 or 16 at the time. So interestingly, that kind of stayed with me, but I did actually have some other leaders, some male, some female, who really encouraged me um, in speaking. Um, Ironically, my dad, who is in other ways a very conservative, evangelical, man in life and in theology but he really encouraged me to speak um would buy me books about female preachers and different things so yeah I think I um sort of went down that path the game changer was um I I studied a master of divinity at SMBC but then I went on to do a preaching course and that I suppose really sharpened some of my thinking around it and deepened my passion, passion for it.
0: Now, you're back again speaking at WDBC this weekend. Yes. You'll be covered. Do you have, you know, have you got a passage you can you can give us so people can do some prep?
2: Yes, so I am preaching on Acts 2. I'm sort of giving excerpts of it because it is a bit of a longer um, chapter. So if people do want to prepare their hearts and their heads, um, you could read Acts 1 and, and Acts 2. And, yeah, it's all about... Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming, and what that means for the church and the the flow-on of that moment in history, that incredible ushering in of this new age, this new era, this new covenant. So, so I'll be sharing on, on Sunday.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this evening. I My know pleasure. you're uh, you're juggling preaching duties and mum duties, so thanks for taking the time out to ah. join us.
2: My pleasure. Uh, thanks to Harry for his distracting noises and activity. Ah. <laughs>
0: Anna Hutchins there, it was great to have her and the little one in the uh,
1: in the studio, let's call it, with us. So this week I'm going up to officiate a wedding. and For the second time. For yeah. <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going up to officiate a wedding. Is it a wedding? I don't know. It's like vow renewals feel like for people in their 60s and 70s. So I don't know, but I guess it's a vow renewal. Covering. Covenant. Covenant Affirmation Ceremony. How about that? How does that oh. sound? Um, but any tips? You're, you're a public speaker. Maybe you've seen something at a wedding. Uh, you've been to weddings before. Give me some feedback, Arden. What, what's my mindset need to be? What, what?
0: I, I can't give you any wedding tips at all. I've bombed every time. People, really? Yeah. Oh, I used to get asked so many times to be the MC at weddings, and I just bombed every time.
1: How do you know you've
0: bombed? You know, when, well, for instance, I was at one wedding, officiating one wedding, the um, best man was going to come up and do the speech and I said, it's time for the best man to do the speech, although I've heard the only way to really know who the best man is, is at a naked wedding and just <laughs> crickets, just crickets, like it was a fairly kind of stage, sort of fundamental kind of crowd, and just nothing. And then one of the guys at the table, the bridal table, leans over and explains the joke to the. Oh, I just,
1: oh, that's bad.
0: I wanted to die. So I have, I have never excelled at it, in my life. So I have zero, zero advice for you.
1: So I'm, I'm hearing you say that something that I might find funny might not necessarily be funny and it really depends on the audience that I'm (laughs) working with. Know your crowd. (laughs) Know your crowd. There you go. And if you try to tell a joke and you don't hear anything, that's a bad sign. Indeed. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Indicate your preference in these wedding categories. Wedding engagement, short or long? Mine was long. Was that your preference?
0: Uh yeah, I think given given our stage of life, there was probably a, a fair bit of timidity going into the into the whole marriage process. And I think we
1: we were both just kind of taking our time. Yeah. All right. Wedding time of day. Morning, midday, evening.
0: Afternoon, like midday afternoon, so you can have the ceremony and stuff then and then the party can go on into the
1: night. Yeah. Wedding reception. DJ or live band Ooh, live band if you can afford them for sure what style are you going to go with
0: Or will you just invite you two to come and play <laughs> but
1: seriously though, what style would you pick I mean yeah, we all oh, love yeah, a professional
0: yeah. all the blokes would sit in the corners and talk about football and all the women would get out onto the dance floor and dance so yeah DJ with some dance
1: hits yeah Spice Girls that kind of thing there you go <clears throat> um, wedding food What's your favorite part? Is it the is it the appetizers? What do you call them? Entrees, canapés, hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the hors d'oeuvres? Is it the main course? Is it the, the dessert, the cake? Which which part of the wedding meal are you looking forward to the most?
0: Looking forward to the mains, but you got to be real careful about which one you get because you can see them coming down the line, and you yeah, and you've got to you've got to
1: pick your seat well. Are you ashamed of swapping if the person next to you is vacant?
0: Not at all. That's their fault for sitting next to me.
1: Sin boldly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just just a couple more here. Uh, are you a fan of the traditional things like the bouquet toss, the garter? Is it a garter toss? Are Are you like, no, nope, leave it. Old no, generation I couldn't
0: care. Yeah.
1: couldn't care I, th- I
0: think at a modern wedding, you really just want an excuse to have the people that you love surround you, and just have have a good time enjoying each other's company. Yeah, they're celebrating you. I think, in turn, you're celebrating the fact that they're part of your life. All right, speeches. Open mic or not open mic? Open mic, but you got to be careful. <laughs> you got to keep an eye on the old drunk uncle.
1: There's always one. Now, I need a bit of help with Aussie drinking culture at weddings. I, I've I've noticed that there's some songs that are played at receptions that involve alcohol and drinking um as as a christian attending a wedding let's say you're attending a a secular wedding how do you how do you blend your conviction of uh not entering into drunkenness with kind of not being a stick in the mud with the culture what's your drinking game plan
0: i think i learned early on that i'm perfectly capable of being a complete idiot (laughs) without the need for alcohol <laughs> i already have that spiritual gift within me i'm perfect perfectly fine embarrassing myself without the need for any kind of you know
1: assistance that's great i found that so interesting when i was talking with guys how many of them felt the need to have an alcoholic beverage in their hand before they could actually relate to you it's quite striking it as a little bit sad if i'm being honest um Because a lot of these guys are great personalities, great, you know, great guys, but they just didn't feel that freedom until it was there. It is the great social lubricant, yeah. Yeah. Especially in Australian culture. Did you have fun tonight? Always have a great time. Thanks uh, to Anna for coming on. Thanks for uh, bringing little Harry with her. And uh, yeah, really just appreciate the work that she is doing. And I think the fact that she's sought after by. What are two really good organizations, Compassion International, Open Doors? It's a testament to the quality of work that she does. And again, she will be preaching this Sunday here at WDBC, so come along. She's always got some great
0: stuff to say. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for uh, coming along once again. We'll do all, all this again next week.
1: My husband, Josh,
0: used to be in a band with my brother, Eamon, and they have been good friends for many, many years. I'm still, Josh, probably a little aside because he didn't live with the boys, but I'm still amazed that any of them managed to meet women who would choose to marry them. Like, they just, I don't know if you ever went to their house, Anna, but they lived in filth.
2: They were There disgusting. was an odour. Yeah, you didn't even need to go in the house and the odour was sort of emanating. Oh,
0: It was horrific. They got sick of the sun coming in through the door so they just stuck pizza boxes up on all the windows to block the sun out and just... Oh, they were just filthy animals. I don't know how any of them found these beautiful Christian
1: women to marry. It's crazy. Found so, deodorant. At the risk of a terrible pun, how did he hook you?
2: <laughs> yes, well, it was interesting that um, Arden's brother, you mentioned Arden's brother because... Their band that Eamon and Josh were both in uh, played at a youth group that I was leading at, so that was the initial hook from his end. Um, and then yeah, we started dating long distance when he was still in Bathurst. So,
1: yeah, I'm convinced he's a spy. (laughs) (laughs) You guys would make a great spy couple, by (laughs) the way.